It's February 13th, 2023. This is Rook. Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 238 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Really, Financial Times? The Islamic Republic has regained the confidence of the people? Olivia from Toronto. Salam, Dustan Aziz. Sorry, what did you publish, Financial Times? The regime has regained the confidence of the Iranian people? Here's the thing. Unfortunately, it seems as though, much like Western governments, we clearly need to make the case to Western media that if you're not going to support and amplify or even cover the Iranian people's quest for freedom, at least try not to nakedly promote the propaganda of the Islamic Republic. That is, unless you have some vested interest in the Ayatollahs. To recap, this past weekend with the anniversary of the Islamic Revolution of 1979 and the associated state-sponsored rallies inside Iran, the Financial Times, a British elite business newspaper, posted an article not just effectively touting the impressive nature of the regime-manufactured demonstrations and quoting requisite supporters and Raisi, but further saying it was a show of government strength with unrest waning in Iran and the regime feeling more in control. Really, Financial Times? Let's untangle this, shall we? And let's dispense with the fact that the same article puts the estimate of those killed during this uprising in Iran at 300, a number dramatically lower than any credible estimates found elsewhere. And let's even put aside the absence of any coverage of the other demonstrations that happened around the world this weekend against this regime including massive rallies in Paris, Washington, Toronto, and L.A., where over 80,000 greeted Reza Pahlavi like a rock star. Nothing about that. Interesting. But let's just take the story from inside Iran. And maybe it's not the writer, it's the editors or publishers. Who knows? But it can only be interpreted as the promotion of the regime's PR in this article. Because there was no mention that the demonstrations inside Iran were actually quite small. And... Well, pathetic for a regime that claims to have the support of the Iranian people and is under attack from all corners on the occasion of what you'd think would be its biggest chance to flex its muscles. In a country of almost 90 million, the most you can muster is a few thousand in Azadi Square, but no mention of that context. Really, Financial Times? There was no mention that Iranian state media apparently duplicated images of demonstrations to pretend that support was widespread and plentiful. There was no mention that a primary state broadcast of the event, marking this 1979 revolution, was interrupted by hackers for almost a minute shouting death to the Islamic Republic across the Iranian airways before state TV stepped in to shut it down. Regain the confidence of the people. What? There was no mention of the fact that on this day of supposed celebration of the birth of the Islamic Republic, there was lots of evidence of Iranians chanting death to the dictator and woman life freedom from their balconies. And there was no mention that, as some reports have shown, paid participants were brought in from Nigeria to march inside Iran for the anniversary of the Islamic Revolution. Does that all sound like a regime that is feeling more in control? Really, Financial Times? What is the agenda here? Because it doesn't seem to be presenting even the postulate of objectivity about the situation in Iran. Is it the job now of Western media to carry the water for this murderous Islamic regime? 
Surely this was just an innocent mistake. I mean, you wouldn't be doing this for any other reason. The sad reality is that this is what we're up against as a global Iranian community. A worldwide day of massive demonstrations gets trumped in the Financial Times by coverage of a state-sponsored PR from inside Iran, even though it pales in comparison to numbers. Oh, the freedom of Iran will eventually prevail and real citizens will once again proudly shout the country's name. In the meantime, to the Western media peddling propaganda, you should feel shame. Coming up on this edition of Rook, popular Iranian-American therapist Dr. Afarin Rajai joins us from San Diego, and broadcaster, producer, and influencer Shirin Nasiri joins us in the Rook studio, plus the Rook Roundtable. This is Rook, episode 238, Hope and Fear Are Two Sides of the Same Coin. go. Here we are in the Rook studio. I'm actually very excited that Shirin Nasri is in town, the first mm-hmm. time in Canada, and she's going to be joining us in the in the Rook studio in a little while. And before that, Dr. Afarin Rajai will join us from San Diego. She's got quite a popular online presence and, and deals with, uh, she's a licensed uh, marriage counselor and therapist, but is currently dealing with the trauma of the Iranian mm-hmm. community globally, who, who she, I mean, she has clients, I think, all over the world and um, talks about things like hope and fear being two sides of the same coin, hence the title of this episode. So Dr. Afarin Rajai coming up in just a few moments. Hello, Pega. Hello. Hi, Shaya. Hi, yes, um, uh, I mean, I, I suppose part of what I was, why I'm animated about to the, the what the Financial Times wrote or didn't write, mm-hmm. acts of commission and acts of omission, mm-hmm. nothing about the demonstrations around the world, is because, you know, you and I, I saw you there, Pega. Yeah. We were at the, uh, actually, I was at two demonstrations mm-hmm. in Toronto this weekend. Um, we kind of prefer that there was one one big one instead yeah. of two competing, but but uh, went to one in the early afternoon, one in the late afternoon and Saturday. And uh, as we were energized by seeing you know, um, videos come out of Australia, and uh, you know, as 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 the time as the day grew, um, images of demonstrations around the world in each time zone, mm-hmm. um, all over Europe, and then we got to North America, and then of course the the crowning achievement of this weekend that that big LA protest. LA, yeah, I mean, the videos were incredible to see, the sheer amount of people, the energy, everything. Reminded me of the big one we had in Toronto yes, in the in so. the fall. It, 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 it that energy is when you get that many people together, and it was a long time coming. It LA, was. you know, it was like kind of LA step up already. Yeah, you guys are the big with Iranian, the Iranian community. community. Yeah, yeah, there, and yeah. they really did. I mean, and we had Kushiar saying, you know, on on Thursday, one of the people organizing mm-hmm. this event, uh, um, the tech entrepreneur, come. Uh, online uh, influencer and and you know he was saying we really really want this to be we believe that one giant mm-hmm. event gets a lot more traction than a bunch of smaller ones and i think that was borne out i mean there was no coverage of sadly of you know toronto and i mean other than you know people sharing it online mm-hmm. uh, myself included i didn't see it in any of our media but the la one got some got some media attention yeah. uh, as it should 
I think City TV locally did a brief coverage of the one um, in Richmond one? Hill. Oh, no, the Richmond of, Hill of Richmond okay. Hill, yeah. Right. So I saw something brief um, okay. that actually the Iran Lovers Group, I think, posted uh-huh. online. So I saw that. But but I agree. I mean, even just being there, it felt so different in comparison to, you know, the big one that we had in, in the fall. But even that, I mean, that, that was, I think that was the only one that got some coverage. You know, the, the media generally doesn't mm-hmm. cover our, our yeah. unless there's something epic. And That's LA, right. it was LA's turn to be epic. And and it was epic. It mm-hmm. was it was pretty big. It looked like a big rock and roll party of some kind, you know. <laughs> uh, and they have all the overhead drone shots, and yeah. you know. And of course, it's Los Angeles weather. I you know. know. Yeah. Didn't have uh, to trek through snow and mud and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, good for them too. The organizers. I mean, there was a there was a real stage and looked like a you know big sound system and and uh, we'll have to get somebody. I mean, we know so many people who were at that LA mm-hmm. rally. To, to represent and tell us what a they thought. A first-hand account, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but a, 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 an energizing weekend uh, in the diaspora. And then, you know, this... Uh, uh, I mean, it's funny enough, I was doing research when I, I came across this Financial Times article because I was actually asking uh, Super P. Parisa and Shia and, you know, people in the office, I was kind of sort of saying, is... is this 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 anniversary of the revolution mm-hmm. isn't this the time when the regime's supposed to get millions of people out on the streets you know presumably if you know let's say the regime has uh you know let's say the the poll that came out recently that survey that said mm-hmm. it's about fifteen percent the support yep. for the regime which is dismal of course and you know eighty percent what the regime got in Iran let's say that's wrong let's say the regime has 40% support, mm-hmm. 30% support. Wouldn't 30% of 90 million people yeah. it responding to, think about polarized countries. Think about uh, in, in the US when the Democrat, when liberals have a big demonstration and then at least you know in the last few years the response from you know republican uh, crowd or trump lovers you know would come out and you know in the, in the, in the huge numbers to mm-hmm. sort of show a counter demonstration. Did we see that happening in Iran? Not at all. To me, these are the most telling things. There was a crowd. There was a few crowds in in different places. But I mean, uh, uh, you know, this is I mean, this is the best the the regime. That these are the moments that are telling to me much more so than it's same as when Team Melly won the game and nobody went out on the streets. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is the barometer. And then you find out they're they're bringing people in and they're hiring people and they're you know. Well, that's what I was going to say. Crowd with an asterisk because can you really call it a true crowd if you're importing individuals to stand in and make it seem like there's a following or you know support or whatever else you want to call it right um i mean everything that i saw and everything i've been seeing on social media really points to the the contrast of that i mean there was videos there's two videos that i saw that i thought were incredible um one was an individual walking around in azadi square um offering kotlet (laughs) and i thought (laughs) First of all, the bravery of that individual. Yeah. Um, secondly, do we I have just, to explain the symbolism of that, or does everybody get it? I think it's pretty well known. Mm-hmm. I, I just, right. yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty well okay. known. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first one, and then the second one was actually a video that I saw from Esfahan, and there was um, a stage set up with hundreds of chairs for people to attend and watch. I guess some sort of broadcast or mm. um, yeah. video or something like that. Not one single person was sitting in these chairs. Oh, really? And to see that sight, to see the preparation, and to see the fact that no one had shown up yeah. was just absolutely incredible. And it really is telling, like you said, you know. 
so that was i thought those were some of the videos that i saw that were incredible and going back to <clears throat> your essay and this article um i think the contrast with that again could be seen on social media because there's all this talk of fireworks and celebrations mm. and things like that but what the article fails to mention what we haven't talked about yet is the fact that in the background having these fireworks and then hearing people yell outside of their buildings homes whatever um mm. late into the night um you know death to the dictator or death yeah. to the islamic yeah. republic yeah. and all these things so to even some of the videos that you see of the fireworks where i think maybe people have people and you hear the chanting in the background exactly death to the islamic right. republic I think yeah. people had put it saying yeah. you know in support of the the yeah. regime but then if you listen closely enough you hear people saying death it's to a the weird islamic thing republic. you know this this what really kind of got me about the article because so I, so anyway I'm looking I'm, I'm just trying to do some research and uh, about uh, what happened in Iran can I get some and um, and there's not a lot in English there's mm -hmm. some articles in Persian and and then and then this one kind of jumps out and it doesn't because there was something in the Globe and Mail there was kind of like a couple places had articles about the rallies in mm -hmm. Iran and to a certain extent I feel like that's also peddling the regime propaganda but they tempered it like the headline would be rallies occur in Iran amidst massive protests mm -hmm. against, you know, like That's that. Right. But the Financial Times one was just like, Not a great rallies in Iran, uh, everything's, you know, and, and then that line, which was, uh, you know, the, the I don't know, what was it, turning the corner, or what's the, the, the thing that uh, I, I was repeating, and then regain the confidence, regain the confidence. Of, uh, of the people. Um, and regain the confidence. That's quite a thing to say. Such a stretch. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, right. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, and then to not mention the rest of the mm -hmm. stuff happening in the world, it's such a, uh, again, an act of omission. That's right. Uh, during an act of, of commission. So, um, mm -hmm. when you see this amount of uh, ignorance, you think, I mean, you would doubt. Uh, maybe they th they thought that the rallies in Toronto, in LA, and all places on the Visodei Bahman, maybe they thought that it's pro regime. Right, so right, <laughs> right. Well, you know, the writer is in Tehran. Oh. Mm -hmm. So what does does that tell you anything? Uh, I mean, I don't think can can you write a, a highly critical article of the regime if you're I mean, is, isn't the whole point that Western journalists are not in Iran right now because it's hard to be, you know, to actually be objective about, mm -hmm. you know, and, and say what's it's very the, the, telling. actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, and I don't want to necessarily I don't know, you know because sometimes. It's the editors who do the headlines and, and change the thing. And so, uh, or the, you know, even the publisher can get involved. I don't know what this article is all about, but mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that the person is stationed in in Tehran and has been for a few years, uh, right now. Not Natalie Amiri or yeah, yeah. some of the people we know who were yeah. in Iran yeah. and have subsequently left, and and good thing they've left. So, yeah, it was um, it was mm, uh, curious. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did um, what did you make of the the big uh, all the demonstrations around the world and and the f images of LA, uh, Shaya? Yeah, I mean, t uh, I think the part that the sister of Mohammed Mukhtari hugged Reza Pahlavi mm -hmm. that was the picture that got viral. that went viral. Yeah, yeah. and so there's uh, something you know there's something about Reza Pahlavi uh, being the age he is now. That he's kind of, uh, I don't want to say this in a disrespectful way to him, but it's like he's grown into himself, you know? Like you see a man who is a father, who is a sort of a, you know, who's lived through a lot. In, mm -hmm. that, in that hug, I think, yeah. you know, you kind of go, okay, well, this guy's, uh, um, you know, he's bringing more to the table here than just a, 
the guy's campaigning for <laughs> you know he's kind of embodying uh um a lot in that in that in that hug i i, I was i was i guess i was somewhat surprised but the uh but um the reaction to him he hasn't been turning up as much as publicly on the stages at these demonstrations and stuff so we saw the a great uh, reaction to uh, Hamed mm-hmm. Ismailun in, in Berlin, yep. uh, and we saw. I think of the around the time of Flight Seven Five Two when Nazanin Boniadi and Massi Alijad were in Toronto mm-hmm. and uh, on stage, and, and they got you know a lot of attention, and it felt like this. This is an example of um, you, you know the, the star power. I mean, it's, it's a weird term to use in this moment but that Reza Pahlavi uh, that's that's what it looked like I yeah. mean the screams and he goes up on stage and everybody's cheering and then he's got security guys around him because everybody wants to say hello mm-hmm. and it's like wow this is uh, a lot has happened in recent months you know? yeah do you think it has something to do with the coalition now I mean I think at least that's what I was thinking that in part maybe this quote-unquote star power is also being amplified by you know the coalition and and the recent um, session that they had, um, the eight individuals at Georgetown, yeah, and maybe. you know coming from that, perhaps. But you know, to be fair, uh, peop, some some folks have been sticking with Reza Pahlavi mm-hmm. for a long time, yes. and so it's got to be pretty cathartic. It's like okay, finally, you yeah. know, it's <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, even if you love Hamid Ismailoun, unless you were in his small circle that would have known him, you haven't been a a supporter of Hamid Ismailoun for for twenty years, right? Years, yeah. So yeah. so you know to a certain extent, this is like a uh, you know it's like a it's like the first time uh, you know uh, Supertramp is coming to town after uh, <laughs> being a fan for a long time. You know, it's like oh, I get to go to the concert. You know, I I, I don't know. It's an it's you know these are interesting times where everything is developing quite mm-hmm. quite quickly. You mentioned the conference. Let's go to that. I mean, we've yeah. segued into the the roundtable here, but. Um, you know, we talked beforehand about how this is a great thing potentially. It's mm-hmm. a good, it's a, it's a step forward. And of course, in person, there was Hamid Ismailun, there was Masi Alinejad, there was Nazanin Boniadi, there was Reza Pahlavi, and then they also had the four people joining by Zoom or satellite yeah. or whatever you want to call it. And and uh, it seemed to go off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's been a a mixture of let's face it, uh, um, positive and perhaps not unsurprisingly negative <laughs> uh, discourse around this. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think I kind of anticipated that to happen, um, wishfully or wishful thinking. I don't know how to put that, but I had hoped that, you know, after this conf- conference, it would lead to more unity. Um, but in a way, you you kind of saw a split. You saw some of the negative comments. You saw some of the positive comments. All of that. But overall, I actually I had I really sat down and thought about this. And as I was watching the live stream, I was watching it off of the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And so the comments were also going okay. live at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and it was hard not to read the comments and to see that um, that distinction in, in mm-hmm. what people were mm-hmm. saying and who they were kind of targeting and, and things like that. But one of the things that actually really, really made me happy is that I think this is the first time I've ever seen on any forum where Iranians are actually engaging in more than just um, 
yelling and swearing at each other for lack of a better really? way of putting it yeah it's the first time I mean, you see that th- there is some of that don't get me wrong uh, not to say that some people are still not taking mm. out you know their anger on forums like that but there were so many comments where people were following what the individuals were saying asking questions um you know sharing their opinion voicing their concerns things like that and i thought that was really really mm. great to see so in the midst of the back and forth, there is some really great conversation and discussion that's mm-hmm. actually being had, which is you great. You know, um, Dr. Uh, Ali Fatullah Najad, who we had on last Thursday, said something, pointed out something that might be quite simple, but I think it's worth echoing or uh, as the current parlance is uh, amplifying mm-hmm. uh, in this conversation, which is that, you know, we're currently defining disunity as do you like this guy or this woman or do you dislike this person or, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of conversation around what's the tactic, what's the plan, what's the agenda, what's the, you know, who's the leader, this type of thing. But actually, he zooming out as an academic does, you know, he he reminded us in that interview on Thursday that, you know, he was saying disunity in the Iranian community, at least in sociopolitical terms for the last four decades has been between those who believe we should engage with the regime and reform or try and you know mm-hmm. fix things and those who believe we got to blow it up mm-hmm. that's been the primary source of disunity right. again from a socio-political point of view not you know which artist you like better <laughs> at, at your concert or something you know and i thought that was such a and and so Judged from that point of view, this is a massive moment of unity because everybody's basically on the same page. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, even the the, the lobby group that was a Nyack, that was a, um, what do you call it, a reformist, to, that was their thing, mm-hmm. has now said, we want regime change. That's so right. so now it's just w- how, what's the plan and who's going to execute it and who do we trust and who do we like? But, but the underpinning, you know, is is a political unity mm-hmm. which is actually pretty remarkable Absolutely. like i don't think we could have conceived of this past as much as the, I, I i dipped into the comment section for a little bit and then i had to get out because mm-hmm. i just i was it kind of bothered me but but as much as i saw negativity there you know about each one of these individuals and all of that i don't think we could have conceived of last friday and uh, this conference a year ago Absolutely. you know yeah And I think one of the big takeaways going back to the conference is um, this creation of Iran's Charter of Solidarity and Freedom that the coalition is saying that they're going to have done by the end of February. I mean, I can't even imagine what's going to be part of that and what kind of conversations are going to arise from seeing that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to continue on what you were saying, the further unity that we'll achieve from having something like that to Mm -hmm. present, you know, not only to the Iranian population, whether it's inside or outside of Iran, but also to the international community at large so that'll be something that what did you how did you feel about it uh, um, uh, did you watch it uh, not live but I watched uh-huh. after yeah I think it was the first time that the opposition outside Iran they did something smart and wise you know mm. and yeah and it was hard that you could point it out something that like um, go goes against the revolution go and and I mean everything. Uh, for example, I really like that 
Ali Karimi wasn't there and goal shifters. Yeah. It was really what did you wasn't think of what they said? It was. I, I thought it was interesting what goal shifters, like they, they kind of, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. Like they they clear, clearly said that we are not politicians, mm-hmm. but because we have uh, followers, so we are, be, we are being the, the voice, yeah. you know. And so, I mean, everything was, I think, very minimal, very, uh, and also that was a good thing. Also, it they keep it as short as they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it does, it did feel maybe a little thin, you know. Yes, it's a, it's like there were no. It didn't feel like a deep. No, you know, mm-hmm. dive into how we're going to fix Iran. It was like a, you know, we'd heard everything we heard was pretty much things we'd heard yeah. before yeah. from the same people, and and you know the next steps are going to have to actually there's going to have to be more substance on the bones mm-hmm. gonna, than than this. But yeah, going back to concise but kind of to the point, I, I want to point out Shirin Ebadi's remarks remarks as well. I thought there was there was a point where she said something. Um, Dictators say hello to the end. I think that was kind of the translation, and I thought just. To hear that, from say hello to the. Oh, the, she oh, says, right, yeah, right, right. dictators say yeah, hello say to hello the to end. The other, yeah. That was the translation. I'm yeah. sure it sounded much better in Farsi, but um, even just hearing that during a conference like this, after five months of you know what's been going on, the backdrop of everything, it just that that part really got me emotional to hear her. Why say Why wasn't that she there? Do we know why wasn't she in in Washington? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, Maybe she went to. <laughs> she went to somewhere. Um, yeah, so I mean, a, a very um, active couple of days, you mm-hmm. know, after after a, um, feeling like I know that this this notion that things were, I mean, as the Financial Times likes has written uh, the, the, with the uprising waning, and uh, you know. <laughs> Ain't no waning happening in terms of uh, what we've seen over this weekend. Um, and there are demonstrations planned for Iran, for inside Iran for next week. Is that, did you see those? Actually, now that you're saying it, I think I read something about um, encouraging demonstrations next week. Next week. Now that yeah. it's past yes. the Bisodoy Bahman yeah. and yeah. the anniversary of the Islamic Republic yeah. to so come out. Yeah, we'll see. After that. Um, you, you last week you wanted to talk about this Munich uh, Munich Munich Security Conference, yes. and uh, we didn't. We kind of moved along and didn't have the time. So, mm-hmm. so tell t- tell us about this and the significance of it. Yeah, so um, this is a conference that takes place annually. I think this is like the 59th session or something that they're having, and it's um it's a con- it's a conference to discuss security policy. So everything from <clears throat> traditional national or military security, but also economic, environmental, human rights, things like that. Um, and it's um, usually a lot of countries mostly those who are also part of the UN take place. So Iran would technically be one of the countries that would typically um, take part in the security conference. But what's actually happened this year is that they've invited Iranian opposition figures instead of inviting the Islamic Republic. So um, the individuals who are invited are actually Masihani Nejad and Reza Pahlavi. And so they'll be attending instead. Um, the conference takes place on the 17th. Um, and the only other countries who have also been excluded- Which is in, uh, on Friday. This Friday, that's right. Um, And the only other countries who have ever been excluded and are excluded currently are Russia and North Korea. Mm. So to give you an idea of where the Islamic Republic is headed. And uh, noted Islamic Republic supporters. Yes, exactly. uh, Russia. And and, uh, did you you think it was a a win that 
a lot of countries didn't send representatives to the support the the anniversary of the revolution uh, day i mean there was a lot of people calling for uh, you have, say european mm-hmm. uh, uh, governments to not send a representative a lot of which did a lot of whom didn't and then there was a bunch of countries that did uh, yeah. but did did that feel like a I think it definitely is a win. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about over the past four or five months is that, you know, we want the global community to stop engaging um, the Islamic Republic in any way, shape, and form. So, you know, to that point, of course, it's a win. All right. Um, All all provocative. And and there's a... There's a something big in Brussels on the twentieth. Twentieth, right? So that's different from the Munich yes uh, security conference. What's the Brussels thing? Um, that's another conference. That's the human rights. That's the human rights. That's where yeah. yeah. And um, I don't have the stats on that one, but that one I Isn't think. Isn't that is where the foreign minister is supposed to speak and and we're uh, and, and we're supposed to turn our backs on them? Isn't that they're supposed to walk out? Walk yes, out. Yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah, supposed uh, to happen. Uh, that's right. But there's a requisite uh, or there's a concomitant demonstration that's being planned. Yeah. For that's the next big one in. Uh, in Europe. Yes. All right. Thank you, Pega. Thank, Thank you, Shia. You. Before you guys go, let's mention that we have, now say, listen, if you've been listening to us, what are we? We're 10, 15 minutes into the show. How, how long are we into the show here, Shia? Uh, 29 minutes. Oh, wow. 29 <laughs> minutes. Of the, all right. So we, you know, you've been listening to us for almost half an hour if you've been following uh, along here. And that means that maybe you're, you don't want to turn it off. You're interested Hopefully. enough to be be with us here. Um, so, if you are somebody who enjoys what you're listening to, and if you are certainly a regular uh, listener or part of our audience for Rook, we would love you to become a Rook member. And we've got our Patreon page. We stay alive by crowdsourcing, and so we've now set up a Patreon page, which means that you can become uh, a Rook member uh, to support this uh, this program and our endeavors, our endeavors and our mission to build an audiovisual encyclopedia of the Iranian diaspora identity over time. You can do that very simply now. Pega, how do they do it? They can search Rook Media on the Patreon website, right. or they can go to our website and simply click the Support Us button, where the where that'll take them to all of the information they'll need. Rookmedia.com. That's right. And there's three tiers. Yep. To become a, you can become a mom, monthly Rook member on mm-hmm. on Patreon. There's three tiers, uh, and you get stuff. Now you you there's a very there's exciting some, there's stuff, some back actually. at you here. You got a there's bronze. And there's silver and there's gold. And gold I yeah. taught Chaya back at you this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you use it, Chaya? Let me uh, let me see here. Uh, hey, Chaya, you know when we jammed last week, I, I really uh, really enjoyed your playing. Oh, back at you, you played very well. Yeah, yeah you don't even have to say anything. Um, oh, yeah. back at you. But maybe you. not the you. Just go back at you. I'm back at you. Yeah, there you there go. You there go. you go. Yeah, <laughs> see that. That's it. So, <laughs> so actually, so, becoming yeah. a patron, you can have access to things like that and oh. uh, bonus content. Yeah, so you know, oh, little, right. little things that happen. Except that was around. on the show. Yeah, so that was around like, the show. But yeah. you know, other other examples. So of that. there's a bronze, silver, and gold. I mean, I think the gold patron, uh, the Rook members get. Uh, a, a, a week with in Hawaii with Shia or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we okay. adding that? I, I don't know. I, know, that we're I know there's, that there's big prizes. There's uh, you know there's there's uh, exciting things. You, yes, uh, with with uh, the gold membership, um, 
you'll have access to a live Q&A with the entire Rook team. Uh-huh. That's, that's one of the highlights of and the, the gold And isn't there medal. a Song of the Week? Is that which, which tier is that? Um, yeah, there's Song of the Week. That one, I believe, is with silver. That's the... We're, we're sounding like we don't know what we're talking about because we just launched this thing. <laughs> yes. But we promise that these things will will exist in terms of the back at you of what you get for your bronze, silver, or gold uh, exactly. membership. So please do. It's, uh, the, the point is to help support what we do here at Rook uh, at our Patreon page. So that's enough of that. Well, I'll try and keep it uh, short each show, but we're going to promote that Patreon page to you. Thank you, Pega. Thank, Thank you, Shai Jun. Uh, let's get to our first guest, Shirin Nasseri, coming up in the Rook studio in just a little bit, but let me get to our first guest. And my first guest is an Iranian-American assistant professor at Alliant International University. She is also a researcher and a licensed marriage and family therapist in both North Carolina and California. Dr. Afanin Rajai obtained her doctorate at East Carolina University. She has been working with individuals and couples uh, who suffer from communication issues, infidelity, parenting struggles, anxiety, depression. She has been very outspoken about the current uprising in Iran and has a popular presence in social media and right now. Dr. Afanin Rajai joins me from San Diego, California. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me today. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for doing this. Of course, thank you. My pleasure. It's a, uh, I mean, it's a fortuitous occasion to be able to ask you, as an expert in the space, about how this revolution is manifesting and affecting Iranians around the world in terms of our psychological and our emotional states. But uh, first, let me just position you, ask you a little bit about you. You were, as I understand it, a kid from Mashhad who mm-hmm. came to the U.S. as a student only 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You've said that when you left Iran, you pretty much knew it was going to be for good. Why, why was that the case? So um, at that time, I was, I mean, I love my field. So I was coming to the U.S. to continue my education. Um, and I was very interested in the field. At the same time, I was um, somehow fed up with the, my experiences in Iran, right? Um, I didn't have freedom like everyone else. And when I say freedom, I mean freedom of speech, you know, um, all these different um, aspects of it, right? So um, I came here and I kind of like experienced a different life. Uh, when I was in Iran, uh, I didn't feel like I belonged to society somehow because of, you know, the different things, stories uh, that we had there. Um, So yeah, when I came here, I experienced a different life and I really like it. You were saying to me in a conversation we had earlier that um, you had gone back to Iran a a couple of times, including Mm -hmm. a a couple of summers ago and last summer, and that uh, you loved going back because you would see your family, of course. But Mm -hmm. other than seeing family, it was generally a disheartening experience for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain why? Yeah. Um, In my experience, um, and of course that I'm just talking about my experience in Mashhad, but it was really sad to see people, even like on the streets, how um, angry they are, frustrated, you know, sad. You see um, child labor, you see decent people, young and old, they are looking, they are walking in the streets and looking for food or other things in trash bags, right? And all those different experiences, um, they really break uh, my heart. 
And yes, the good part is like visiting your family and stuff like that. But at the same time, seeing all these different things, um, like zooming on them, it's it's really challenging and difficult. And I know that some of my friends, um, they go to Iran and they come back and they tell me like, oh, everything is good, right? Mm. Like people are happy. But I think sometimes like uh, we have this narrow vision. We see only our family, you know, our couple of friends, and we don't see the bigger picture. Uh, and the p- bigger picture that at least... Um, I saw um, people were not happy, people were sad, angry, frustrated, and life was challenging and is challenging. It's been an interesting few months for you because not unlike a lot of people that come on the show, by the way, I mean, we just had, you know, for example, the the actor Shiva Nagar, you know, uh, last Mm -hmm. week on the show who was saying, up until this this past year she would have never thought of herself or called herself an activist and now you know this mm-hmm. is what she is almost doing 24 um, 7 you're a doctor you're a therapist uh, this is what you do this is what you studied um, but now uh, as a product of, of the last five months I mean uh, to see you in social media you are mm-hmm. quite active sometimes might, somebody might say political um, tell tell me about what happened with in September, with the killing of Massamini, with the coming of this movement, with this uprising in Iran, how this has affected you and who you have become in the last five months? I think obviously, like anyone else, it has been a very difficult and challenging and painful time, right? And I think that with what happened, just in terms of, you know, my public appearance, I felt like enough is enough and we really need to be like this is of course in the past 40 something year all the different things have been um crucial and you know violent and challenging but you know at some point you feel like enough is enough right so i felt that in september in terms of my public appearance and i think that i got more active um in terms of the post that i had or you know how how i spoke about these things i always talked about these things in my classes with my students even like americans right about social injustice issues around the world um but you had to make that that decision around am i going to create the conditions where i can't go back to iran you know for example yeah exactly but before that because as i mentioned like i I wanted to visit my family in iran i couldn't be like uh that much or i decided that i don't want to be that much public about it about iran specifically but what happened with uh the murder of mahsa amini um it just made me Thing that enough is enough and this is the time that we all need to be together on this journey we need we all need to say hey this is this is we don't go along with this and we need change i don't necessarily want to put the the therapist on the couch uh, and uh, <laughs> be the therapist but before we get to some of the insights of what you've learned as a therapist over the last few months i mean can you can you tell me a bit about your how what happened to Massa Amini and of course the aftermath of it, the protests, the kids being killed, the executions, all of that, how that has affected you emotionally or how it resonated for you, how you processed it. It's been very traumatic um, and very painful. And not only like the stories that we have seen, also like all of the things, all of the stories that happened, they reminded of us of the things that we experienced, we had experienced in the past, right? Um, in our childhood, when we were teenagers, you know, as young people, like all these different things. But I think for me specifically, besides like going like uh, saying that it's painful, um, it's been really interesting to watch and to sit with all these different emotions, 
right? I was talking with one of my friends and I was telling her, it's like an ocean and each wave has its own color, like mm. meaning like each emotion. And just, uh, it's very common, quite common in our lives to experience mix of emotions. But in the past five months, it's been just so bold and highlighted to feel sad at the same time hopeful and then angry and then frustrated and then happy and mm. then excited so all that mixture of emotion um experiencing that has been really interesting to me and you know as i talk with my clients that i think that that's a kind of a common experience for most of us that's a great that's a great place to start i mean that's a great segue into asking you about some of the topics, some of the in, in, insights of what you've learned um, or where you're at in terms of the psychological disposition of the, the global Iranian community and how these topics intersect with us in the last five and a half months. You know, offering Dr. Rajai, I, 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 one thing I can tell you is almost everyone who's come on this program in the last five months, when or people I've interviewed on the streets or in Istanbul or whatever, I mean, if I am to ask the question, how are you emotionally dealing? The answer is usually that it's a roller coaster. It's up and down. It's it's a mixture, as you've just said, of desperate uh, sadness and heartbreak uh, mixed with um, hope and um, um, exhilaration and energy and expectation. Um, you posted at one point um, something that you've been talking about, which is that that hope and fear, those two emotions that seem so polar opposite, are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that in terms of this duality of what Iranians are feeling, hope and fear? Yeah, sure. Great question. So I think these emotions uh, often exist together because they are both tied to uncertainty and unknown, right? So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And we have all these different fears and we are scared that what if it doesn't happen? What if it takes like X number of years, right? And at the same time, in that fear, there's this glimmer of hope that things could be different. Hmm. Things will be different, right? So then that hope and fear, they exist, they exist together. And at the same time, experiencing that can be really overwhelming, right? Because as you mentioned, it's like that mixture, that roller coaster, right? So what I find helpful is to normalize and to validate that, yes, this is, you know, our experience right now. And it's, again, like quite common in life uh, to have all these different feelings. And it's really important to see them, to sit with them, to process them. If you need help, to ask for help and um, to take care of yourself in different ways that you can, and to take care of ourselves as a community in a ways that we can, right? So there's that individual work and community work. Now, I'll come to the taking care of ourselves, but are hope and fear always tied together? It occurs to me if somebody's breaking into my bedroom in the middle of the night, I will feel fear. I'm not sure I'll feel any hope. Um, mm -hmm. And if my football team is on a winning streak, I'll feel hope that we're going to win the title. I won't feel fear necessarily. Are they always tied together? I think when we are talking about unknown and uncertainty, yes, because again, like you don't know about the results. And one thing that is interesting is we usually like think that we take it for granted. We think that we plan for our career for the next 10 years, for our life for the next 20 years. 
But the truth is, I'm not sure if, if I'm here the next moment, right? Mm. But in situations like the revolution that we have, that uncertainty, that unknown is much bigger uh, on the table, right? So we see that, we feel that, we are living with it every day, right? So I think um, it depends on like the situation. Is it a choice? Is it a choice? Do you, do, you, do you have the choice? You sort of go, I'm going to choose to be hopeful about this revolution, or I'm going to choose to be terrified that this is all going to fall apart and be worse? I think it's a choice in terms of how much you want to focus on them. And it's a choice about the actions that you take. Because when you take actions, you can be more hopeful, right? Mm. But if you just sit in those emotions, with those emotions, and then you feel like, oh, okay, this is what it is, like I'm trapped, you know, I cannot do anything, then probably you are consciously or unconsciously choosing to experience fear more often. You, you, you spoke a moment ago about um, tr trying to, I, I don't know how you put it, stay healthy or take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And something that you've spoken about um, that I've often heard in therapy or talked to my therapist about it, for example, is is setting boundaries, which I I see as a very personal kind of idea of who am I going to let in, who am I going to keep in my inner circle, how close am I going to get to this family member, um, all of those type of things that as you get older you work through and try and create these boundaries uh, to to have a um, to, to navigate your way through a um, a positive life. Uh, how how does setting boundaries intersect with the being Iranian in this moment with what's going on? Mm -hmm. uh, another great question. If you let me, I just go one step back. So when we are talking about self care, a lot of times people imagine a bubble bath or you know spa, going to spa stuff like that. But self-care is actually a lifestyle that you choose. And it's about making yourself a priority at the same time that you are thinking about the common good and you are giving to people, right? So Adam Grant talks about this is we have givers and takers. So you want to be a giver, but at the same time, you want to make yourself a priority, right? So you cannot pour from an empty cup, mm. they say, right? So, and because of that, uh, when we are talking about a lifestyle, one important aspect of that could be setting boundaries. Boundaries are the limits or the rules that we set for ourselves in order to have healthy, happy relationships and to protect ourselves. And when I say protect, I mean physically, emotionally, psychologically, sure. socially, all these different things. So often when I talk about boundaries with my clients, I tell them that imagine you have a house and your house has a door, right? And everyone who wants to come in, they need to knock, wait for your permission, and then they can come in, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes in terms of boundaries in relationships, uh, either there's no door or if there is this door, people, they do not respect it. They just, you know, come in. Right. And in that case, you need to highlight and promote your boundaries. So I think the way that it has to do with our, the conversation that we are having right now is that we are in this revolution and we want to be active we want to participate and in order to do that because it's a, also at the same time a painful process right i'm not sure if we can reduce the pain but ho i hope that we can reduce the harm mm. because of that we want to take care of ourselves and because of that self-care is important and because of that boundaries are important and setting boundaries and Again, setting boundaries, um, it, it can be different things, right? Um, it can it can show itself in various ways, right? Sometimes it's like saying no to a project. Sometimes it's like 
I just I need these two hours for myself and I don't want to talk about anything else. So different things, but you need to set your boundaries in order to take care of yourself. So you kind of like fill your tank. So you have the energy mm -hmm. and the mental and physical well-being to continue in this process. Um, I, I imagine one, one way to set the boundaries would be to um, try to limit or try to set set boundaries around how much information we're consuming especially when it's difficult mm -hmm. information when it's um stories about kids dying or so or or that the ongoing sort of fear of tragedy and atrocity that comes out of iran mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one one of the ways could be like that a lot of times i have this conversation with my clients that they feel like they don't have any energy anymore and they need to just you know shut down their social media for one or two days and at the same time they don't do that because they feel guilty right so this guilt does not let them to take care of themselves and then we have this conversation that like of course that we go deep and i don't go there right now but uh we have this conversation that you need to take care of yourself you need to set that boundary if you need that time that one day two day that you need to you know just be with yourself and take care of yourself and then after two, that two days you can come back that's okay because you cannot pour from empty cup right you cannot how how far do we go with setting boundaries? I mean, on the one hand, I I firmly believe the dictum of, of don't feed the trolls. For example, don't mm -hmm. you know don't don't look for negative things on on the internet to, that are going to mm -hmm. be toxic for you and are going to sit in your mind and make you. And that that's a kind of a general rule that um, people have discovered uh, that it's just not helpful to go there. But on the other hand, I feel sometimes like we're we're not fostering the kind of conversations that we want to have. I think of a, a, a person I know and she she and her family member uh, profoundly disagree about some of the, ideologically, about some mm -hmm. of what's happening with this revolution. Their way of dealing with this right now is to simply not talk about it at all. You know, like they mm -hmm. just don't, don't go there, which is mm -hmm. functional so they can still sort of be cordial with each other and, you know, say hello and whatever. But it seems dysfunctional because there's this huge happening thing happening that they're not actually talking about because they know mm -hmm. they'll it'll be hurtful. They they so profoundly disagree. What would mm -hmm. you tell them in that scenario? Mm -hmm. It seems like in a scenario that you shared, they decided they chose to not participate at all, right? That is their decision. It seems like that. So I think that's the difference between someone who says, "Oh, I want to participate in this marathon," right? I want to do that. But as I'm practicing, sometimes I feel like I need to rest. Whereas some some people who say, oh no, like the whole thing, I don't want to be part of it. No, 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 because uh, it's the opposite. One of them really is participating. The other one isn't. So they, oh, they, they have a disagreement. And the their solution, rather than yelling at each other, is to not go there, is to not talk about it. But mm -hmm. here they are, two family members who can't talk about Iran, two mm -hmm. Iranian women who, uh, I mean, is that, do you think that's the right approach? I mean, if the other person, I'm not sure if someone like the other family member doesn't want to talk about it, I'm not sure how we can, you know, make them to talk about it. So if that's their decision to set that boundary, to not have conversation, mm -hmm. I can think of some brave space that you challenge people, you know, you invite them to have conversations. But I think at the end of the day, you cannot make them to change, if that makes sense. Well, I think that... Uh they both very opinionated, so I think they're they both understand that if they were to start talking, they it it can get very um, 
potentially hurtful. So, mm-hmm. uh, but on the other hand, I feel it's weird that here's two opinionated people in the same family who are literally not talking about. I something. think I think we should think about what is the point of having a conversation. Is it about me uh, telling you, you know, I'm right, you are wrong, or do we want to understand each other, mm. right? Because I think in the first case scenario, and you see that in a, in like U.S. society as well, right? In a first case scenario, people just hurt, just feel like they are not heard, they are not understood, and it doesn't go anywhere. And then um, Trump happens, right? Um, but if we have conversation, a brave space that we tell people, "Hell, hey, I'm here. I want to hear you. I want to understand you." Um, then I think that's that's a different case scenario. I think that on a macro level, that's something that the Iranian community is grappling grappling with right now. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, everybody says we need to be unified, or most people, that this revolution ain't going to happen unless we're all together. Come on, be unified. Um, on the other hand, we're obviously having a challenge uh, being unified because um, – People end up disagreeing with each other or bickering about, I support this person, not this person. We can't bring back the prince. We have to bring back the prince, prince whatever it is. Um, how, how do we deal with the challenge of um, finding unity as a community? Mm-hmm. So I think that what we are facing these days um we are going through a corrective experience and corrective experience is a is a concept that we have in therapy meaning like when people they had all these different traumas or past experiences they come to therapy and we process them we talk about them uh, and hopefully they get to a place that they can have a different experience so for example if i always like felt I'm not understood, I'm not heard. I go to therapy and I talk about all these different things. And finally in therapy, I feel like, oh, actually I felt understood. Mm. I felt like I'm hurt, right? So because of the whole trauma that we all experienced in the past 40 something years, I think that it's it, it has been so traumatic that right now we feel like we cannot trust. We cannot, you know, let see what happened, you know, number of years ago that when we trusted someone and you know what happened mm-hmm. and you know just imagine um, living in Iran and you can never trust the system right the S- system does not work in your favor so and there, that therefore is, you know, we don't trust each other we're notoriously yeah. untrustworthy uh, of uh, each other we are wounded right mm-hmm. we are wounded and those wounds um, they don't go anywhere but right now we have a chance we have an alternative to go through this process together because we are going to this um like challenging time altogether, societal kind of like drift together, right? And we have a chance to being in this grief process is difficult. At the same time, it may bring us together. At the same time, it may give us this opportunity to have this corrective experience that yes, we can trust. Yes, we can be mm-hmm. with each other. When there are moments of unity, I've used this example a lot. So for people who listen to the show regularly, they might find it a little um, repetitious. But, you know, for example, when when we saw that massive, massive demonstration that happened in Berlin Mm -hmm. in October, uh, and we've had similar ones here in Toronto and in in Mm -hmm. Southern California where you are, but, but seeing the images of that Berlin demonstration and... Uh, I don't know if you remember, it was almost set up like there was a, a plane so that it was also a testament mm-hmm. to, to, to Flight 752. And, um, you know, I, I, I cried when I saw those images. And, um, and nobody that 
is Iranian if you tell them that you cried when you saw that nobody thinks that's that's weird but it is kind of weird why am I crying mm-hmm. looking at a, a group of people in Berlin <laughs> mm-hmm. you know uh, and it is that catharsis that you speak of that sort of feeling of um, of a release uh, and also a feeling of oh my god we are there's a community we are these people I, I feel a part of this I feel like I'm and so that unity can be so powerful when it's when we see it in the moments that we see it you've talked about the importance of promoting communion in dealing with social justice issues can you talk about that yeah so communion is about the closeness and relationship quality among individuals families and the community in our case the nation right so it's about ensuring that people do not suffer alone uh, throughout whatever you know they're going through right so in again like in that in our case this traumatic experience right so throughout their stories so it's it refers to the shared emotional experience and a sense of connection right and i think it's so important because what we are experiencing is a collective trauma mm. it's a societal grief and for that we need communion we need collective recovery we need this corrective experience how do we, we how do we build that how do we foster that I think we've been practicing that in the past five months, right? With uh, the different actions that we had, the the different ways that we have been there together. The thing about the tricky part about communion is it's about public action. Mm. So, Jian, uh, when all of this, you know, started happening in in the last year, I was teaching uh, this class at university, diversity and the family, and all of my students they are Americans. So I was talking about what's happening in Iran, and one of the things that I told them is these days we see people and um, they are nice and they say, oh, we stand in solidarity with Iran and Iranian women, and I do appreciate that. And at the same time, I'm not sure if you just say that, um, you know, how it's going to be helpful to us. So we need public action. And that public action could be anything small or big. It could be talking about these things on your social media. could be providing a brave space to your friend to talk about these things, to process these things together. could be signing a petition, going to a protest you know, anything, but it needs to be public action. Mm. And I think in the past five months, we've been practicing that. And I know that we have, it seems like we have some challenges right now in terms of all the different things that you said, conversations, unity, but I think we are practicing and we are doing this, um, we are going through this societal grief and trauma together and we show that we are there for each other. You're feeling more hope than fear about our community? I do. Mm. I do feel that, yeah. What is what is toxic pos- positivity? It's, it sounds like an oxymoron. How can positivity be toxic? Tell me. So I think it's about um, sometimes excessive and unhealthy focus on positivity. Um, and I think one of the things that I see on social media and some of the conversations that I have with my clients, friend, friends, is that, again, like that focus that, oh, but life is beautiful. Oh, but, you know, there is meaning in all of this. Oh, but we, we go through all these different sufferings because of, you know, whatever. Mm. And I, I, I feel like... Wanting to, is, is it wanting to will people to be um, positive and happy despite the fact that we've got this barrage of negative news coming at us? Is that the it's idea? It's okay to be positive. It's not okay, I think, to 
just focused, like just think that mm. positivity is the only thing that we have. Because I think life is not beautiful all the time. I think that there is no glory in war, in um, all the different sufferings that people, they go through all over the world because of, you know, what as human doing we are doing, right? Um, I think that is not nice and that is not beautiful. And there is, there is, you cannot say that there is meaning in everything. We can create meaning, make meaning sometimes out of things, right? But there is necessarily no meaning in some of these things like war that we need to go and say, hey, you know, it, it's happening because, mm. you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That is sometimes okay and possible. At the same time, if you talk with people who have been through sufferings, they would tell you that I didn't want to be strong by, you know, experiencing X, Y, Z, right? So I think it's not fair to think and talk like that a lot of times and it's not um, helpful all the time because then you ignore some part of your emotions, some part of your lived experience and it's not going to be helpful to you. I'm trying to remember the name of that animated film from a few, a few years ago. I think it was, maybe it was called Inside Out mm-hmm. where the uh, where they explore the importance of all these different emotions, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. including sadness. You know, you can't, you don't have a full life without feeling uh, yeah. um, sadness. When does it cross into? I mean, you say it's unhelpful. When does it cross into toxic? This idea, this imposition of positivity. I think it's when you ignore your lived experience or part of your lived experience. When you ignore your emotions or what's happening in the world, you know, whatever. But when you ignore some part of your lived experience, mm. I think then that is not helpful. That is toxic. And that's not, this is not unique to Iranians, of course, because yeah. it reminds me of growing up in England. Stiff upper lip. Don't be sad. You know, let's go to the <laughs> war, right? I mean, and you're yeah. kind of like, well, somebody has died. How can I not be uh, mm-hmm. sad? Um, this is, this is a, a I, I very much appreciate these insights. Speaking of somebody dying, I wanted to come to this before I let you go. Uh, grieving, um, there, there seems to be a few levels of grief um, that Iranians, I mean, sitting in this chair talking to people the last few months for all over the world, there's such commonalities in the experience we're, we're having. There's, there's um, the grief of and mourning for people who are dying in the present. There's the grief of experiencing and thinking about the last 44 years and and beyond. Um, there, there's the grief of of seeing people who uh, are not living their full li- able to live their full lives. Women in Iran, as you described earlier, mm-hmm. or um, young people. Uh, talk to me about about what you're seeing amongst your clients and amongst the people that you you deal with in terms of grief and the Iranian community right now mm-hmm. it's an interesting question so all the different things that you mentioned and also I think grief of the life that you could have had right and I think that is just so deep um, also I think one other thing that um, I see in my conversations is a lot of things that are going on in our society right now and also you know in the past some years um, sometimes when I have conversations with uh, with people they tell me that this is really horrible and bad and at the same time I, I had forgotten about what happened to me when I was a teenager in my own family right immediate or you know big family and this whole thing uh, was reminding me of the all the oppression and uh, sufferings that I went through 
as a child, as a teenager, as a young person, you know, whatever. So that, again, like brief of the life that I could have had, um, I think that's really deep. And that's something that also people go through, of course, besides all the different things that you mentioned about the violence that are happening. That's a huge thing, that um, grieving the life I could have had, especially for Iranians for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. How? Where do you begin with someone who uh, comes in and you identify that that's an issue for them? I think we need to validate that experience and uh, the people need to be hurt when they are talking about that. And then of course that after that we process it together, right? All the different things that they needed, right? The needs that got ignored or dismissed and um, how they can work on them um, right now. Um, at the same time, as I mentioned, this life is not all beautiful, right? So there are some of these things that um, you maybe missed in life or you know all the different oppressions or experiences that you had. At the same time, we can talk about how we can use those experiences to move forward uh, with a better life and more quality relationships. Do you see your your clients in person, or are they virtual? Or are they uh, in mostly virtual? Mostly yeah. virtual. And are mm -hmm. some of them in Iran? Yes. Mm -hmm. And is there a difference between the people that you who are your clients in Iran and and people outside of Iran? In terms of what they are going through right now. In terms of some of the, I guess, the approach, the content, yeah. Uh, so I think it is somehow different because um, they feel that the, the kind of oppression and obligation that they feel when they are in Iran, it's different from when you are outside. But at the same time, people who are outside, I think in my experience, they deal with a lot of guilt and um, shame because they are not in Iran or because they have a you know good life compared to um, some of our um, friends in Iran. Mm. So those are just two things that I see a lot. It's a great pleasure getting to talk to you. I, I hope we can do this uh, somewhat regularly. It's a, the, the insights are so important. What is the, what's the greatest challenge for you these days in, in the work that you do? One of the challenges I think is I am also going through this as I'm helping people or as I try to help people. And sometimes that is challenging. And um, sometimes people, they come to you because all of us, when we are in pain, we just want to get rid of the pain, mm. right? Because it's just so difficult. And uh, I wish I had something to offer you, like a pill or something, in a uh, prescription <laughs> that you do, and you know, suddenly the pain is vanished, um, but there's no such thing, right? Uh, I always talk about like going through a tunnel, right? So this tunnel is just painful right now. But I think that there's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And going through this tunnel is, is difficult and is painful. But let's talk about the different ways that we can reduce the harm, right? Not just the pain. Let's let's see how we can sit with the pain, with how we can get comfortable with being uncomfortable, uh, which when I talk about it, it's easy, of course, mm -hmm. that in, in practice, it's difficult. Do you Do you have a therapist? I do. Yeah, sure. Does your therapist have a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, actually she has. <laughs> it's we we all is your therapist Iranian? Uh no. No. And because no. as you were speaking I was thinking you're absolutely right. You're somebody who is going through this so you you bring that direct empathy, but on the other hand maybe it would maybe there's an effective to to somebody not being Iranian uh, mm -hmm. counseling us. I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. It can be, right? Uh, so I think there are like pros and cons, uh, you may say, right? So it can be. Uh, and at the same time, sometimes I think uh, the 
sessions that I have, it could be like somehow like group therapy, but like there can be one or two people, but like group therapy in, in terms of let's talk about this together, right? Mm. We've been this, mm. uh, we've been through this together. I don't want to um, lapse into um, extreme positivity here or toxic positivity, but <laughs> but, um, but you, you know one of our guests uh, when we did the, our little documentary in Istanbul in in early November, um, she said she sees this revolution as a collective healing um, mm-hmm. for the global Iranian community. Um, and we, with all of the the good and bad that comes with that, the, the lumps and the bumps that mm-hmm. that come with that, would you? Does that resonate for you? If I when I say that, I think so. Yeah, um, I think it can be a collective healing. At the same time, it doesn't mean that it's not painful. It's not traumatic at some part, right? So I think we can we can experience both of them together. Will the outcome affect the healing? I mean, if if the I don't know hypothetically the regime stays in Iran and things get worse, does that um, upend our whatever healing has happened? That's a tricky question and difficult. Um, I think it depends on many factors, but I think in terms of like because we are in this together, the communion is there, right? So I think no matter what happens, we found each other. That that yeah we found each other mm. that communion that unity uh the fact that like we are or we we try to interrupt um the flow of business as usual right because every oppressive system uh feeds on silence and we didn't stay, stay silent we are not silent we are showing them that we are not going along with this and i think that is that is huge mm. for all of us because we've always been told that you know be quiet, be a good girl, good, you know, boy, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, do whatever they tell you. And right now we are not doing that. Thank you so much. You know, I, I know some of these questions were, are actually impossible questions to answer. How do we fix unity in the Iranian community? Go, give me, give me it in one minute. But, uh, but, you, but you did great. And I, uh, I think, um, I, I'm sure people who've been uh, listening along, uh, um, have I, I'm sure this is going to inspire a lot more conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your for the education, and I look forward to having you back on again. Merci. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. Chodafes. Chodafes. This is Rook, episode 238, Hope and Fear, Two Sides of the Same Coin. My next guest 
is a longtime friend of our program, and she has walked into the Rook studio here. An Iranian-British TV personality, producer, neuro-linguistic programming coach, and social media influencer. You may know Shirin Nasiri from her very popular online presence or from her unmistakable energy and charm that was on display for a few years at the Iranian TV network Manotour. Now Shirin has a new gig at Afghan International, and she has, of course, been very outspoken about the situation in Iran since the killing of Massa Amini. She has made it to Canada here for the first time in her life, just for a few days, and we are lucky to take advantage of this and have her here and right now. Shirin Nasiri joins me in the Rook studio in Toronto. Hello. Hi, Shian. Welcome. Thank Hosh, you. Merci. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. I mean, this is your first time ever in Canada. Indeed. You made it to the colonies. I Right, yes. right. From from uh, the heart of uh, England, uh, from London. H- how does it feel to to be in Canada? What is your first impression? Uh, I'm I'm very interested in the. I had no idea it will look like this. I like it's completely different from what I expected. What did you anticipate? Um, I expected like everywhere to have like to be houses, not tall buildings. Oh, yeah. Okay. To be honest with you, and, and had I'm, you not looked at a picture of no, Toronto before? <laughs> no, okay. All right. I mean, I'm sorry for my ignorance, but uh-huh. I was never interested in. Oh, <laughs> what a perfect thing to say on your second day in Canada! Yeah, <laughs> already sorry. winning fans here. No, so, now I am very, very much in, interested, and I will come here another time for just pleasure. Because you are just working here for a few days. Correct. Have you had the chance to go to Toronto yet? Have Not you? yet, but tonight I think I'm going Yeah, gonna... I mean, that's going to blow your mind. I look because I know we have that uh, North Finchley or whatever in, in, in London. That's a little hmm. Persian area, but this is... Uh, this will blow your socks off. You'll think. Yeah, that, yeah I yeah. look forward to it. I'm actually excited. Yeah. So I want to. I'm going to ask you a little bit about what's happening in Iran and and um, how you've been dealing with all that. But let me let me ask you about your new gig. You're mm. you're working for Afghan International, which is a TV network similar to and tied to Iran International. Correct. Um, first of all, how does it feel to be working at Afghan International? I'm. Uh, it feels good. It feels great. Um, I'm very looking forward to the the first project I'm going to produce for them is for Nooruz, mm. which is great. Uh, and do you know what? It's after these many years being away from media or television mm-hmm. production mm-hmm. mainly, because I have been on different uh, production, video production projects, but this is after three years, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm back to TV. I'm very very excited like like oh my god i know this area this this field i mm-hmm. am familiar with mm-hmm. it i can do it so and because this time is fully uh i am full-time producer mm. not worrying about presenting or anything oh you're I not like on camera no you're oh wow okay yeah, yeah. you're yeah. producing now you you're not from afghanistan no you're not afghan no. Uh, so so uh, i imagine one of the things that you're gonna have to do for this job is to make sure that you're in touch with and identifying what the afghan community is all about and, and reflecting them accurately how do you do that um, or how yes, are you true. doing that well um i am lucky because uh, i have I think maybe let's say one percent of my followers are from uh, Afghanistan. They're Afghan people, uh, so I'm in touch with them 
for example, I was looking for musicians. So I put on my story, I'm looking for Afghan musicians. And I received one message maybe, which is great. But uh, I'm working very closely to my colleagues at the company, at the television, who are Afghans. Mm -hmm. They bring in the resources. Um, so that's the main way. Mm. And once you connect with an artist, then you have access to others. Other artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a chain. You, this this Nowruz mm. is it's going to be a weird one, I think. I suspect. I mean, I, I still don't know uh, exactly what's happening. Uh, mm. How I don't even know how we're supposed to approach it. On the one hand, there are certainly people who think there should be no Nowruz celebrations this year. On the other hand, there are people who are planning galas in Toronto, and there are. Uh, and, and you know, at that conference that they held on Friday, yeah. a, a couple of Hamid Ismailun and Masi Alinjad both made the point to say, we should have concerts, we should be able to hmm. bring some semblance of normalcy that we have good and bad times, et cetera. I don't know if that translates into Nowruz galas, mm. but but um, how are you processing that? First of all, I guess it's a different dynamic in particular with the Afghan community, but yeah. uh, tell me about the politics around this. Okay, so... I'm going to first make my comment about Iran and Nowruz and sure, then Afghanistan sure. and Nowruz. Um, with Iran, uh, it's very interesting you pointed out about what Ismailun and uh, Masi talked about because once they said that, I actually was happy that they mentioned it because mm. whether I and everyone else likes it or not, they are um, the voices of all of us a couple of the voices anyway yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, one of many mm -hmm. or a couple of many um and i think that's kind of gave a little bit of affirmation mm -hmm. to people mm -hmm. right so we will we will not feel horrible if we live mm -hmm. i won't because i didn't allow myself to talk about these like I mean having normal life or anything I still don't because it's not going back to normal mm -hmm. until we are victorious um, I mean you personally mm -hmm. for the years that I've known you for example mm -hmm. you're a dancer you mm -hmm. love dancing um, sometimes you would just post videos of you dancing around joyously in mm -hmm. your kitchen or something mm -hmm. you haven't done that in the last five no. months and I understand why yeah maybe you don't feel like it yeah. but also if you did yeah you know, some of your followers are going to say, "What are you doing? There's there's kids dying, right?" Yeah. So so um, there there's a line to walk, right? Yes, but uh, in terms of Noruz, hope uh, I don't do that because I don't feel like it. I dance for myself still to keep my mental health hmm. uh, going, <laughs> balanced. Good. Uh, yes, and I have been like I've gone live, and I've tried to alleviate like people's uplift their feelings mm -hmm. and emotions through another way but not through dancing maybe i would just do some comedy dance moves or whatever mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. them laugh but yeah i'm not going to dance like as if nothing's happened with no rules i believe we must celebrate it you do yeah mm. not gala style okay <laughs> what style just like it's it's an ancient tradition iranian persian tradition it should be celebrated it should be respected it's part of our culture it's part of a real culture because you know throughout the whole um demonstration like when i went to one of the demonstrations in trafalgar square 
The first ones, this uh, Muslim woman from Egypt uh, approached me and she hugged me and she was like, I understand, da 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 da. And she was like, I, I know because a, a hijab is part of your culture. I was like, that's where you're wrong. Hijab is not our culture. This is why we are here. Mm. But Nowruz is our culture. And by the way, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Iran, mm. this regime, the Islamic Republic, is not that hot on Nowruz, right? No, it's not. It's not a. It's not a big thing that Raisi is going to be promoting. Exactly. You know? right. So that's why. That's another reason. Because if we allow this regime, mm. they will. They they would be more than happy to eliminate the whole Nowruz thing. So I don't think that we should allow that. Um, we should celebrate this time, but... But not at a gala. Is that what you're saying? You know, I, I so always what, have a problem with gala. Uh, uh, okay, separate from this. Yeah. But no, it is a tough one, right? Yeah. Because there is something that feels... I don't know. Uh, I'm unsure about... I don't even know if I'd want to you know, dress up and, and, and do a um, kind of almost act in some sort of... Uh, um, like you're like you're suppressing some of your thoughts about what's going on to to go to a gala and, and with fabulous centerpieces and a DJ mm-hmm. playing really loud and um, on the other hand you know people should do what they want and and exactly. and not necessarily be I mean if if somebody's um, coming out to demonstrations and doing what they can to support the people of Iran and donating and whatever and says listen I want to go out and have a a, 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 a night of shoddy you know fun yeah. I mean why why who are we to say no so I'm confused about it myself. What the? Uh, I think do what you feel is right for you. And mm. uh, we don't need to shout out, like take pictures and post videos about what we are doing. That's something we need to be considerate of. We have to have empathy and we have to think about what will make me feel good and healthy and mm-hmm. balanced right mm-hmm. now. Do I need happiness? Do I need dancing? I will dance, but I will not going to say, oh, people of Iran, listen, I'm dancing with this fancy dress right, right. and all of that. Yeah. But you know, in our culture, mm. um, predating the Islamic Republic, our culture, culture, we take mourning pretty seriously. I mean, I, I at least growing up, mm. when a family member or somebody close to us would would die um, mm-hmm. very sadly. We we wouldn't have a big Noru celebration that year. You know, we wouldn't be no. our family would we we be quite muted. You know, in terms of what we mm-hmm. and so if we if we zoom out from that and say we're mourning for what hmm. for the people of Iran mm-hmm. or or for the people who died in the last five months, then there is some kind of responsibility to not be um, dancing around and, and with, yeah. with too much glee, right? I would say. Um, when we say celebrate no rules, we don't. I don't necessarily. I don't certainly. I don't mean to uh, ignore what's happening, and I am sure. Even if, like, let's say a family is mourning for their loved ones mm. who they've lost, mm-hmm. they will still. They will still put half sin on. Mm. They should, and if they don't, fine. It's their decision. Okay. Yeah. But it will not mean that they are neglecting the fact that they lost a loved one. And personally, I believe that we must, if we want to respect our loved ones, we must take care of ourselves mm. in terms of having some okay moments, uh, right, right? Happy moments, right? Right. Yeah. If we completely r- ruin our lives, the terrorists have won in a, in a yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. 
what do you do for what is as the producer then what do you, first of all can we can, can everybody see afghan international where online do we? yeah it's the same as iran international okay. yeah and and so it, it's got an online presence everyone what is what are you going to produce for the afghan noruz special well so with noruz in afghanistan and iran the difference is that iran is going through this kind of revolution right now so the whole uh, style is going to be appropriate for that mm-hmm. and uh, the same it applies to Afghanistan, but with Afghanistan is that Taliban is against music. <laughs> right. They say mu- music is haram. I was going to say the, the, the Afghanistan is not the bastion of democracy in, <laughs> no. in contrast to Iran either, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and they say music is haram, uh, and women should. This what happened right. with women's education and everything. So we are going to no big fans of Afghan international. I would imagine the uh, yeah, the absolutely Taliban. they yeah, are not. Yeah. Yes. So uh, what we are doing or uh, yeah, what is being planned is to just make it loud as possible that music is important, is part of the Afghan culture, is uh, one of the main things to keep your hopes high Mm -hmm. and all of that. So we're covering all sorts of uh, types of music in Afghanistan. Uh, dialects, languages, all of that. Yeah. You're here interviewing musicians in yes. India mm-hmm. uh, that are, but you're based out of London still. Correct. Um, tell me about um, where you've been. At, you know, the last time we had you on, the, we had we had you on the program early on. I think in mm. the uprising, it was uh, in the in the a few weeks, uh, two or three weeks after. You didn't. Well, you even asked me whether it's a revolution or not. Sure. And I said well, it was the, a revolution. You did. Remember? In the first couple of weeks, it was everybody. You know, we didn't know, right? Yeah. Um, Tell, tell me how the last how you would characterize the last um, five and a half half months for you, Shane. Because I, obviously, people who keenly follow you on social media will have seen some of your emotional ups and downs. Mm. You're very candid. You're very open. Uh, you open yourself up in terms of your your platforms. But mm. um, how would you characterize it, looking back to um, the last few months since the killing of Massa Amini? For you. Hmm. Okay, for me, it was definitely exactly what you saw of me on social media was true because I was up and down. Like one day I was extremely hopeful and motivated and and like determined to, how can I say, like invite everyone to feel what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And one day I was angry with the way people are reacting. We are reacting. And one day I was very hopeless. But the hopeless part, I would say, it was just like 2% of the time. Okay. Um, and you need to zoom in and zoom out throughout your life all the time with everything. Once you zoom in, if you want to get motivated, you should zoom out. If you want to uh, find... Uh, Are you doing neuro-linguistic coaching right now? Is that what's happening? You got it. <laughs> what does that mean? If you need to uh, say that again? If, if you, you need to get motivated about any goal... You should zoom out? You should zoom out. What should, does that mean practically? It means that... Let's say we are looking at one week throughout the whole timeline. Mm-hmm. In the past week, I don't know, whatever has happened could be a negative thing, right, could be a right, positive right, thing. Right, right. But once you hit disappointment and hopelessness, you can zoom out and see how much we have achieved and how much we are going to achieve. Yes. And then it will be like, okay, in the long run, we are going to win. Yes. I was telling somebody on the the weekend about uh, last Thursday, we had the academic um, Dr. Ali Fatola Najad Mm. on the show. And 
he, as academics do, he zooms out, mm. as you've just said. And so he was giving a perspective on, uh, you know, I said, is this a revolution? And, and when did it start? And, you know, and he says, it's five years. It's been five years in the making. We've been in the revolutionary process, basically dating it back to since the time when the majority of Iranians now almost mm. universally Iranians, certainly in the diaspora, believe in there's no reform of this regime. We need to overthrow the regime, et cetera. He considers that the hallmark of our unity. And and it's so true when you zoom out like that. Mm. So he's like, yes, we're on the way. This is a revolution. Uh, then you don't get as caught up in the what we might say the day trading of uh, of uh, what happened today that you know there was an execution there wasn't a rally the rally was too small this and 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 also you don't get sort of overconfident when one good thing happens or something yeah. either you kind of know that it's a process and a marathon not a sprint and all those things yes, we've been yeah, saying yeah. um so that's so that's interesting so when you are you able to do this per, i mean we've just had this psychologist on are you, are you able to personally practice this zooming in zooming out when you have a, yeah. a bad moment or a bad day are you able to zoom out yes i have at You've taught yourself. I've taught your, I myself. I've taught myself, and uh, yes, now it's anchored in me. Mm. It's another term I just dropped there. <laughs> um, yes, um, with everything I do that now, which is really helpful. I suggest you try that. Uh, it's like, and then to keep the balance, mm -hmm. you should remember to zoom in as well, because once you zoom out. You're like, maybe you will get emotionally disconnected from certain things. That's when we should say we won't forget. We zoom in, don't forget. But zoom out to keep going. Do you remember uh, a moment recently where you practiced this? What the, what the issue was? Mm -hmm. um, I don't exactly remember what it was, but I remember I messaged my girls in our, like my, my girlfriend's group mm -hmm. chat box. WhatsApp group mm -hmm. uh, and I was really feeling down and scared of everything that's happened but th so that's one of the means for me to get myself out of that mood I just met, said that I said guys I'm, I'm feeling like this what if this what if knowing that? that they would reassure you somehow yes mm -hmm. um, and moral which mm -hmm. is uh, one of my amazing best friends she was one of them she she was like yes so we help each other we remind each other that's a way to zoom out and zoom in so i have like a first aid kit emotional first aid kit and one of them is when i feel helpless uh, yes i use one of the things in my kit with one is the friends how did you feel um I know you were you, again. You have a pretty big, large audience, and and you you talked about this a little bit. Give give me the perspective now. Last month there was that activity in the diaspora around the petition to. Um, I mean, there's, it, it's hard to even what words to use, but to endorse uh, yes. Reza Pahlavi or not as the yeah, yeah as as our authority or something uh, to oversee the the transition. That was something that you were quite involved in 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 terms of talking to your followers and an audience and and trying to grapple with. Mm. What do you think of that whole episode now? Mm. 
that was very interesting first of all i waited one day i just didn't say anything because everyone was like what is your opinion what is your opinion and i read every post people shared about that and then and i imagine amongst your followers there's a lot of different opinions oh certainly. different followers of different P- yeah everything. one group was uh, waiting to unfollow me if i don't endorse that mm-hmm. right one group was waiting to see <laughs> yeah, great it's, it's yeah, very yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. Um, but i love the way i communicate i think my relationship with the main followers uh, i i have is really good because they know me mm. that's the p- main population i really care they know me they they know that she is not going to endorse anything and be like this part is good this part is bad uh, so with that, I was even talking to my friends. I was like, guys, should we endorse? Should we not endorse? So after that, only... You genuinely weren't sure. I was genuinely... You don't have sure, a... You're sure. not someone who has a particular, uh, so to speak, horse in the race. I, no. I, I'm a devout follower of this person or something. I know one. In my, even like, uh, I mean, I try to say that any chance I get. I never put my belief in a human, the whole belief. You shouldn't, in, in anything. Because hmm. that can lean towards extris, extrism. Ext- extremism. Mm-hmm. Extremism, yeah. Mm. And um, no, I said that. Is I was that like, to say that we don't need a human, though? Do, 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 do no, we no, need, no, no. Do, do we not need a human to ultimately... Uh, um, I don't know. To, uh, do we shoot? Do no, we need one person to? Oh, hmm. you said you don't want to put all your confidence in one person. Yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, and I and I still say no one person, a team. I was like, guys, I like Reza Pahlavi. I like him, and he has the looks, he has the talks, he has the everything. Hmm. Uh, but it doesn't matter if it's Reza Pahlavi or one another person. If there's one person. I'm not going to put my whole future and uh, destiny in one person's hand because that's not going to work. Mm. Um, and, and it applies to anyone. So we need everyone to put their brains, brains into one thing and talk about it, which is happening right now. Did you feel good about this? Um, like on the Friday, mm. there was the con- we were just talking about on the roundtable, there was the conference that happened with uh, all, some of these yeah. uh, so-called opposition leaders, you know, and, and um, I mean... You know, there's a lot of people who are excited about it. And uh, as with our community, there's a lot of people who are uh, attacking it. Uh, everything from, I don't like this person. This person wasn't good enough. There wasn't, you know, uh, they're all Nyack. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. what, how, how did you process what happened on Friday? I think it was a good thing. It was not a negative thing. It was not a negative thing. It, it, it did contribute to the whole process of the revolution, and it will. And it was a huge, in my opinion, it was a huge milestone. Mm. Right? And there's always criticism. Always. You can never make everyone happy. So that's normal. That's absolutely normal, and it's understandable. Again, zoom out. It's a milestone. Because we've been waiting for this. Now we are now criticizing that. Everyone was saying we want this. That's right. What's That's going right. on? As I, as I was saying to a few people, we can't all say we want unity and then complain when there's attempts for <laughs> unity, you know, and, and allowing uh, yeah. some different people in the room that not everybody's going to agree with. Some people say it's a de- be- it was a beautiful, in quotation, demonstration. 
yes, okay. What else? What did you want that you didn't receive? Do you Be think vocal about it? Shirin, with your, I mean, given that you have those that big following, and you say you sort of understand them, you have a dialogue. I mean, uh-huh. do you actually think that we are capable of um, coming together? Yes. For uh, a new Iran. Yeah. yeah, and I'm going to share something that's an un- unpopular opinion. Maybe okay. this is going to raise something uh, in your social media. Maybe uh, before the you. you? You, <laughs> who I've never known you to say something was all right. Go yeah. ahead. Um, yeah. What was I gonna say, baby? You distracted <laughs> me. Uh, no. Um, right before the killing of Massa Gina Amini and our revolution, um, and I was uh, vocal about it as well. I never had any hopes for a uh, future of Iran. And and I wasn't emotionally attached to. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. have so mentioned things about yeah. that. Yeah. Now. You were on our documentary in London yeah, saying yeah. I I don't identify with the Persian community. Exactly, yeah. but now I love our people, mm. love them, even the ones that I don't like. <laughs> so what? So what? What happened? You're not alone. A lot of people mm, have said this mm, that that mm. they've I mean in different ways mm. we've I've refound my Iranian pride and all of that and, and yeah, yeah. we owe it to the young people of Iran who've been uh, you know who've changed things but yeah I'm getting emotional because we've been through so much like woof Iranian people have been through so much that I can understand everyone I can understand everyone. And we deserve a normal life. <laughs> yeah. When you when you're getting emotional like that, where's your mind going? It's like the girls and boys we've seen. It's like it was. It's like a Iran is like a Ganj Chimisha. Treasure. 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 of talent, knowledge, potential, beauty, and they we have the chance. And I'm not going to let go of that. Like, this is the only chance we have. Even the Eslah Talaban, like, uh, I don't know what's that in English again. The, the reformists. Reformists, yeah. yes. Even they are now on the boat with yes. us. Like... No, like before that, people were like, maybe Hatami is handsome. Um, we thought that, like, or Rohani is going to allow musicians do that, this, do this, <laughs> yeah. And some people would say, no, you can't deal with mullahs. Now everyone knows that, and we know that. It's not like, oh, we doubt it. But how did you go from within the course of a year from I don't like to be too involved in the Persian community to this kind of I love the Mm. I I love the whole community even the ones I don't like it's a great line so what was your question again how did you go from uh, what what Uh changed what changed the unity the unity it's like suddenly we decided all to understand and open our arms to learn to listen I hope so. 
I've seen that. There's a change of language. There, there's a change of uh, behavior in the way people speak now. Uh, I have a term I've chosen. I've, I've named the the, the spams on my life, <laughs> right? I've named them something that is probably not people are not gonna like it. It's funny. Should I say it? Sure. Goose to the hand. Okay. Fart yeah. in the mouth. Yeah. 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 And in my lives now, I rarely get used to that, because they're all because they're all sepahi. <laughs> <laughs> but, nah. but 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 people are angry. Yeah. And sometimes it seems to me that anger is manifesting itself and attacking one personality or some. You know, especially I mean, I I was surprised. Hmm. I didn't wade too much into the comments and stuff after the Friday, but I was surprised by the amount of negativity. And I don't even know who these people are. Maybe it's mm. cyberbots from the regime. I don't know, you know. But but the amount of uh, should, there has to be disagreement in the community. That's good. Uh, Why not exactly. conversation? Let's Absolutely. see, you know. But the amount of really negative kind of uh, mm. stuff, you know. Yeah. This person belongs to this party, it's and this person is. It's always been there. Yeah. It's always been there, and you know what? After this, I messaged Massey, uh, and I said. I, we know each other like Messi and I through television and everything and I said I am so happy and proud of myself that I stood by my uh, word I had many close friends over the time throughout these years saying she and she Messi fell on this and that such mm-hmm. a, I was like I hear you but I have give me some uh, something you can prove you say these things, you show me just a picture that Masih has Maghneh next to Khatami. We all were at that time. What are you talking about? Yeah. Pretty much everyone was that a reference, prove except maybe shite. Reza Pahlavi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so, so you're happy with Masih now? You're, you're proud of her? I Masi. always was proud of her. Mm. I always was proud of her, but um, I said it to herself as well. Like, um, I understand why she's not as popular as uh, some are, um, which and is why okay. Is that? Because of many things, um, because of the fact that one one is that the society or the cultural thing is used to see a feminine certain pic- image for a woman. Who wants to be popular, right? It's breaking stereotypes. Yeah, and if she doesn't fit into that uh, category or mm-hmm. f- frame, um, people are going to be nah. Or just because she's from some rusta or village, and then again, dude, <laughs> can you do something like she's done? First of all, she's indefatigable. Her energy. I don't know how this person has this. Mashallah. How the, yeah, Not I mean, c- c- yeah, exactly. But yeah. Uh, it's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Every day she's out there. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how. Um, it's it's yeah. it's remarkable and, stuff. And, yeah. and I've lost thousands of followers every time I say something about that. I see, oh, I lo- I lose followers. I don't care because I don't say something that I don't believe. If you can convince me otherwise, I will listen to you. And if you can, fine, then I will say it. And I don't, and I'm not afraid of saying, oh, I made a mistake. Nah, I said it and I will say it. And everyone should do that. And that's something Massey does. So she used a wrong hashtag, she apologized for it. 
آقای رضا پهلوی ای corrected something I don't remember exactly but this is great like we are learning how um before I let you go tell me a little bit about what what the vibe has been like in London you've mm. been to the demonstrations there mm. I remember early on you were saying it feels mm. a little divided and I'm not sure yeah uh, how is how do you feel like the Iranian <laughs> community in London has been rallying so yes so it was divided like the first two days after the killing of Massa. Uh, I was just like, what should I do? And I don't live in London. I just suddenly decided, I was like, I will go. Even there was no announcement mm-hmm. or anything. I was the first, the only person And somebody yelled there. at you or something, right? Yeah, remember, somebody yeah. from like the, like Palav, uh, the Shah. Uh, Monarchist. Uh, yeah, Monarchist uh, fans. It was very interesting. It was like, there was no picture of Massa. All pictures of uh, the Mon- uh, Pahlavi dynasty, mm-hmm. which is fine. Okay, okay. Uh, don't kill me. Hey, people. man, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's like a rock star. So, yeah. You know, yeah people so love Reza Pahlavi. That's right? fine. And uh, uh, he kept coming towards people who were st- like joining me. I was like, come join us. Uh, let's unite. I was like, mind your tone. If you want to unite, mind your tone. Don't shout at me. Uh, but then, as we moved, forward there was a unity uh, it was great mm-hmm. uh, and I wasn't in the demonstrations last weekend uh, I wasn't in London I was actually on my way here yeah um, last week I mean two days ago yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, but I was told that uh, the monarchists took over again and um, it's, it's it's interesting it's not it's like they don't want to listen They're like you are in love with this concept. Nobody is saying don't be, but don't let other people have a voice too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to them, they've been at it for a long time. Yeah. You know, so it feels like a moment. You know, here yeah. we are. We finally got to the uh, place and now uh, we can express ourselves. It is really interesting to me, though, that um, having attended the two uh, demonstrations in Toronto on, on mm. Saturday, uh, and seeing you know footage of the other ones, uh, Paris and LA and every, uh, um, as much as we know, there are supporters of uh, all kinds of people. Hmm. The one picture that you see at the demonstrations, I guess they're more organized, is Reza Pahlavi. Yeah, I mean, people hold hold signs that say, "I endorse uh, Reza Pahlavi is my representative." I don't see that for some Others. of the other folks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's understandable again because he comes from this background established background um, we are not going to say oh, I uh, I vote for Shirin because she's nobody like she has I don't know her father mm. that's normal uh, it's like you think that kind of lineage means something to uh, somebody established the allows somebody to have a pedigree we kind of and it's true we do know no matter what your opinion you people know mm. we know his mom mm. we know his dad you know we know the, the and family that and that, there's something comforting I mean, about it's that it's very yeah. important in our culture it, it, it's very important who your parents are in mm. every matter in every situation even if, if, if you are having a suitor they would say what are your <laughs> what is your dad and mom's right, job right, right? Right, right which shouldn't matter in my opinion so because it's part of all culture, then he's the only person who has, who has got that. Yeah. I, I've been saying this as well, though. I think uh, he's acquitted himself very well. 
in yeah. the last six months. And I love he how said he's been so good about trying to be inclusive and trying to, I mean, it, you know, it's hard to be in the kind of spotlight that he's in and not make yeah. a lot of missteps. And he's just been yeah. very, you know, I think a lot of people have come around because like, this guy's, you know, he yeah. seems to be, he doesn't want to be the leader, he says, yeah. and he wants to help and he's, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at this point, there's no, doesn't matter what, who says what, who says I mean, if people say, oh, my Micham, I want Reza Pahlavi to become our Shah. Okay, you you want it, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get it because he doesn't. And and I hope that Reza Pahlavi one day comes on a, a platform and says, guys, please listen to me. I say, Zanzendegi, Azadi, you keep saying Javid Shah. At least show some respect if you really respect me. Mm. Like respect this guy, guys. Yeah, he has been saying things that uh, I feel like some of some of the followers don't necessarily. Yeah, he has mentioned the ones. Uh, I think I had no, a lot. He oh, says, okay. he says, come on, you know, accept other viewpoints. Yeah. Be, you know, let's go for unity, etc. Um, well, it mm. has been. Uh, Look at you here, face to face in the Rook Studio, yeah. uh, in the human form, uh, yeah. not just the virtual form. Um, I hope you get to uh, enjoy and exploit uh, Toronto for and check out the you know the the Persian community just for your own uh, um, experience here. Uh, and um, it's so nice to have you here. Good luck Thank with you. this new gig with Afghan International. Thank uh, we'll you. be watching, and um, as ever. Thank uh, you. It's wonderful to have you on the program. Likewise. Merci. Merci, Shirin Shirin Nasiri here in the Rook studio. Thank you to her. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to Dr. Afanin Rajai for being here. This is full time for Rook for today. Uh, and a big thank you to the amazing team who put this show together. Uh, Roham, Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Merdad, and Shaya. Um, Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please do subscribe on any of our platforms if you haven't done so already. And remember, you can become a Rook member at our Patreon page, which you can link to from our website, rookmedia.com. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. In the meantime, as ever, Mizunbashi. Bashi.